Wow. So we, uh, as, as Michael ended that and said, hey, the days that I remember, I'm a son of God, are, are the good days. And we get to celebrate through the act of baptism people who are celebrating that they have become a son or daughter of the Most High God. And so at all of our campuses, we're going to be celebrating baptism. So if that's like your next step, and here, here's what that means. If you have given your life to Christ, and, and you, Jesus has become your Lord, King, and Savior, and you have not been baptized uh, since that time, since that moment of surrender and repentance, then baptism is your next step. And so we'd love to talk to you about it. We'd love for you to celebrate uh, <clears throat> baptism with us, all of our campuses on May the 20th. So again, I want to welcome you wherever you're joining us in any of our five locations or somebody gave you a, a CD because you work, uh, y'all work at the same place or you're, somebody told you, hey, log on to our website. Hey, we are delighted that you would listen in as we continue in this series called Habits, Vices, and Sins. Uh, oh my. So I want to begin with a question that you get asked a lot and you ask people a lot and it is like a, a common greeting and it's a common thing. Hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. So the question is, how are you doing? And so we all probably answer that, hey, I'm doing fine, you know, depending on the context or the circumstances. But that's just a question that you ask yourself a lot. But there's a better, well, not a better question, but a deeper question that we're going to probe into based on this question of how are you doing. And here, the question is this, how do I know how I'm doing? You ever think about that? Like somebody says, hey, how are you doing? And you say, I'm doing terrible. How do you know you're doing terrible? What is it that makes it terrible? Is it the weather outside because you wanted it to be this way and it was that way? Is it because of the doctor's report? Is it because you didn't get the job? It, it, what, is it because your marriage or your relationships are on the rocks? Or, or conversely, hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Well, why, why are you doing great? Because the sun is up? Or are you doing great because you're physical, you passed it, you got a promotion, you got a raise? She said yes. I mean, how do you know how you're doing? And, and, and the answer is this, and, and we need a scoreboard. We need a gauge. We look at something. Every single one of us in here, we look at something to tell us how we're doing. If, you, if you're a parent, you've had little kids, and they learn to ride a bike, or they learn to twirl like a little ballerina, and they're like, hey, mom, hey, dad, how'd I do? Hey, mom, hey, dad, did it look good? Was it cool? They're asking for something that is hardwired into us, which is we want to know that we're good. We want to know that we're doing good. We want to know that we're okay. And so we all, we all need a scoreboard. And, and it's not as simple as, hey, you have food and clothes on your backs and a roof over your head, you're good. That's not as simple because there's something in there in us that says, hey, I want to have purpose and I want to have significance. So every single one of us that walked in here today, we're all looking at a scoreboard and we need a scoreboard to know that we're good. I mean, some of you, your scoreboard is you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. Some, some of us, you look in your bank account and you don't like what's there or what's not there rather. Uh, some of you, it's what, how many people commented and what they said about your social media post. For some of you, it's your GPA. For some of you, it's did you make the team? Did you make the cut? Did you get the... So we all have a scoreboard. And so when somebody walks up to you and says, how are you doing? Almost out of as subconsciously and second nature, you kind of glance internally at whatever your scoreboard is in that moment or in your life and you reply. Now here's the danger of that. We're designed to do this, by the way. But here's the danger. What if we look at the wrong scoreboard? 
What if what you're looking at to tell you you're not okay or that you are okay is the wrong scoreboard? I mean, that could be kind of like disastrous, right? Because it would cause you to, so to speak, play the wrong game. It would cause you, so to speak, to get on the wrong path. It, would ca- it could cause your, your self-awareness or your, or your understanding of who you are and why you're here. It could cause you to just you know, be discombobulated and be confused or, or to just think you're, what about this, to think you're okay and you're not because you're looking at the wrong school board. Or to think you're not okay and you really are. I mean, those are just dangerous paths to go. So we're going to try to get our school board right, but we're going to examine what happens when our school board's wrong first. So if you have a Bible, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by uh, John the Apostle. And we're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 21. Really interesting story, and we're going to dig into it here as we move forward. So we're going to start in verse 16, and let me just give you the background. Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and he's kind of reappearing in different scenes to his, to his disciples to assure them of his resurrection, and then to give them marching orders for what they're to do after he departs and ascends into heaven. So he's interacting on a beach uh, at the Sea of Galilee with this, with this apostle that we call Peter, who became one of the leaders in the first church, and Peter has denied Jesus on the night of Jesus' arrest right before Jesus was killed three times. Jesus, Peter said, hey, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, oh yeah, you will, three times. And he does it. So Peter kind of overpromised and underdelivered. Peter kind of feels like a failure. And Jesus comes in and asks him a series of questions. And they're all kind of the same. And they say, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And, and so let's enter the conversation here around the third time that Jesus is asking Peter this question. He says, Jesus asked him, Peter, the third time, Simon, son of John, or Peter, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus gives Peter his part in the mission of God. Feed my sheep. Take care of my church. Take care of my people through your apostolic witness, through the, what we would call the preaching of the Word of God. That's what the sheep, we, we feed off the Word of God. So he says, hey, Peter, this is your role. I want you to feed my sheep. Now, now things for Peter are not going well because Peter's performance in life is not good. He has failed three times within a 12, 24-hour period. Peter, the, the most important man in the universe to Peter is Jesus Christ, and Peter has disappointed him, and, P, and Jesus seems to be kind of rubbing salt in the wound of, do you love me? Because I'm not so sure because you denied me three times, and thus he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know the sting of when you, like, when you, like you, maybe you had a grandparent, or maybe it was your mom, or maybe your dad, or maybe that coach, or maybe that teacher, when you disappoint them, they're part of your scoreboard. And, and you're like, God, oh, I have disappointed somebody I care about, someone whose opinion I respect, someone who, who I just want, I look up to. So Peter is looking at himself. He doesn't feel good about himself. It says he was grieved. He's looking to Jesus, who, whom he loves. And it seems like Jesus isn't too happy with him either. And then Jesus does something even more like pour salt on the womb. And it goes into verse 18. And look what Jesus says. He says, okay, truly I tell you. When you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. You, had, you were kind of free, and you were independent, and, and you lived as you pleased. But he says this, when you grow old, and he starts to tell Peter about how he's going to die. He said, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will tie you, 
and carry you where you do not want to go. You will not choose how you die. You will not choose the conditions, the terms, or the time of your death. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And we know from church history that Peter would go to Rome and Peter would be crucified the same way Jesus was crucified, except Peter is crucified upside down. And Jesus tells him that. So if you had an imaginary conversation with Peter right after this, and you said, hey, Peter, how you doing? His performance is terrible. He seems to have disappointed the most important man in in the planet, which is Jesus. And Jesus has just told him he's going to die an unpleasant way. So Peter's scoreboard is is, is like, I am not good. Peter's scoreboard is is things are not going well. I've just learned I'm going to die a horrific death. I've disappointed the most important man in my life, and I have failed on not one, but not two, but three occasions. I have struck out with the bases loaded. Things are just not good. The scoreboard is telling me, how am I doing? I'm doing bad. So let's meet ourselves in the Word of God, in the story of God. And let me say these couple of things to you. Your performance is not a good scoreboard. Your performance in life, your performance in sports, your performance in business, your performance cannot be your scoreboard. And I'm going to tell you why. Because number one, you will mess up, we will mess up, we will make mistakes. It's why some of you, when you think of you and God, the first thing that comes to mind is guilt and shame. Okay? So, so your, your performance cannot be your scoreboard. Number one, because you're not perfect and you will have bad days. You will strike out. You will mess up. You will misstep. Number two, someone will usually be able to do it better than you. Okay? And number three, there will come a day when your performance will not be what it used to be. And you can sing the Toby Keith song, I'm not as good as I once was, but I can be as good once as I ever was. But still, your performance will wane. Someday, someone will be able to hit the ball farther than you. Someday, someone will be able to sell more carpet than you. Someday, someone will be able to sing better than you, or you'll lose your ability to sing. So your performance is not a good scoreboard. Yet many of you, if I said, hey, how are you and God doing, you look to performance. And you have a list of things you've done well or done wrong. So, But your performance is not a good scoreboard. And and so Peter's grieved. And we get grieved if, if the performance scoreboard is what comes to mind first and foremost eventually. Secondly, life is not a good scoreboard. And what I mean by life, I mean ups, downs, twists, and turns. Very few people, like, let, let's go to Peter for a second. Very few people get to control how they die. Okay, so uh, Peter gets that. Life throws you curveballs. The world we live in is broken. I mean, you just watch the CNN and you can say, you know, it'll never happen to me. It won't be this way for me. But we can't guarantee that. And, and you know this. I mean, some days the sun comes up and you need it to come up. And some days it's cloudy with a chance of rain and you need it to be sunny. So it, it, life is not a good scoreboard either. And this is where Peter's looking. He's like, my life is headed to a cross. My life is headed to a brutal end, uh, not on my own terms. Uh, my performance, my past is telling me I'm a failure. My past is telling me I'm no good. And the guy I love the most seems to be kind of just hitting me with this, and man, you've let me down, you let me down, although that's not really what, what Jesus is doing, as we'll see in the story. And so what is Peter supposed to do? What's, what scoreboard is Peter supposed to look at? How is Peter supposed to know how he's doing if his life and his performance and his future seem to be all kind of screaming, it's not good, it's not good. 
And then Jesus says this. After saying these things, he told Peter, follow me. Peter, you just look at me. Peter, you just go where I tell you to go. Peter, you, you base your identity, you base your worth, you get your approval from how you're walking with me or walking behind me. Let me be your scoreboard is, is essentially the invitation. Peter, just follow me. Interestingly enough, I think this is the definition of a Christian. Not I've prayed a prayer, not I've gotten baptized. Those, that's a symbol, but that you're following King Jesus. And, that's, and Jesus says this phrase a lot in the New Testament, so just follow me. And, and so, Peter, this is how you know you're doing good. This is all, I need, this is all you need to do. You stay close to me. You follow me. You take your cues from me. Now, interestingly enough, somewhere along the lines, we quit looking to God to answer the question of, how am I doing? We quit looking at, at, at God as the source of our identity. We quit looking at God as the one we should be in proximity to and relationship to. But this was not God's design. So I want to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and show you some things that explain why you want to hear mom and dad or your coach or your teacher or your boss say you're doing good. Why you have and I have this desire to know I'm doing good and why I need the right scoreboard to tell me. Me that in the book of Genesis, Genesis, uh, God's just completed creation and it says God blessed them, and that's Adam and Eve. Now, what did He bless them for? They hadn't done anything, He blessed them because they were His kids, they were His. They were in his image. They were in relationship with him. They were in, on purpose with him. So he blessed them and he told them, God told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. And here, here, here it is. Here's that ache in your heart. Here's that longing in your heart. God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. We were good the world was good, life was good, because God made it good, because God is good. So we were designed to look at God and know by looking at God, just what Jesus said to Peter, follow me, by looking at God, we're okay. Not at our performance, not at our past, not at what other people are doing, not at life, but to look at God and God says, you're okay. And then... We get an, another description of this. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. You know how hard it is to think about being naked and not have shame. Why? Because you look at your body and you're like, not good. But because God made, or you will look at your body. AIDS catches up with all of us, right? So you, but, but God made us to have no shame. Why? Because we're good. All's good. Because dad says it's good. Because father God says it's good. Because God made us good. Well, what happened then? Chapter 3. He, the serpent, <clears throat> said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And she said, Yeah, there's one tree we can't eat from. And said, Well, God's, not God's holding out on you. So look at what happens. The woman saw that the tree was good. For food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And she and Adam looked 
away from God to find good. The scoreboard suddenly changed. We're going to find good apart from God. We're going to find good without God. And the whole world blew up. Our biology, our DNA, the weather, our walk with God, our ability to even look at God, our ability to even be close to God, destroyed because we said we'll be good, okay, without God. So do you see God's original design? Our God's original design is that we would find good in Him alone and because of Him alone. That as long as we were with God, we're good. As long as we're following God, we're good. And so Jesus just brings Peter full circle back and says, Hey, follow me the same way Adam and Eve were just supposed to look to God and be good. And that's where the story is. And that's where the tension is. And that's where the problem comes in. Okay? And so... Peter doesn't get this yet. So Peter, when, when, you, when you're foggy about God, when you're foggy about yourself, Peter does what a lot of us do. And look at what he does, okay? So Jesus has just said, hey, follow me. But Peter says, well, when he saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Now the implication here, and we'll see this in Jesus' answer, is Peter's like, hey, Jesus, is John going to die the way I'm going to die? Say, okay, oh, you've just given me, like, I'm not sure I like what you've just given me, God. So is John going to die the way I'm going to die? What about him? You know, and you've done this, right? You've gotten in trouble and said, well, they did something too. You know, and you start looking and shifting and you start doing something. That's crazy. And this is the slippery slope, okay? So listen, here, here's where Peter is. When you have uncertainty and doubts about God your life, and or your performance, it leads you to the slippery slope of comparison. You start comparing yourself, and it, and it happens so easily to other people. So if your performance is subpar, you're, to feel better about yourself, you'll say, well, I'm better than they are. At least I didn't do that. You'll do it, right? When, when you're not looking to God to tell you you're okay, you look at other people and you're like, well, I'm better than they are at, or I'm worse than they are at, and you go into this comparison game. And God did not create us to live in comparison with one another. He, lived, he created us to live in complement with one another. Thus, man and woman, he created them, and they come together to complement one another. Thus, the church is called the bride of Christ. We come together in the church with a variety of spiritual gifts to complement one another, not to compare ourselves with one another. So Peter's going to feel better, supposedly, if Jesus gives him, oh yeah, John's going to die. He's going to get boiled in oil or something. Oh yeah, John, yeah John's, got, John's, got, John's got a worse death than you do, Peter. Do you feel better about yourself now? But Jesus is not going to go there. He's not going to answer Peter's question. He's not going to move into this game of comparison. Interestingly enough, of all the, the apostles of Jesus, John is the only one who dies naturally. The rest of them die as martyrs. So Jesus, what if he, Jesus knows how John's going to die? He's God. He knows everything. So you can imagine this if, if Peter hears, hey, Peter, you're going to die on a cross. You're going to get crucified upside down. And he says, well, what about John? Oh, John's going to die in his sleep. Well, that's not fair. Well, well, how does he get that? And I get that. You can see where it would go, right? So Jesus doesn't go there. But this is where we get introduced 
to the fifth deadly sin. You see, when we have uncertainty, doubts about God, life, and performance, it can lead to the slippery slope of comparison, which can then lead to envy. Envy. Well, they've got it better, or I want what they've got, but I can't get it, so I'm going to start wishing bad on them. And then envy, which is called the green-eyed monster, right? Envy just opens up in our soul. Let me define envy for us. Unhappiness and resentment at someone else's perceived blessing or favor. And I, I circle this, I highlight, I put this word perceived in because from our vantage point, they've got it better. You're like, I can't believe she can fit into those jeans. <laughs> you know? And then you start wishing, man, I wish she's stranded on a desert island for three weeks and all she's got to eat is little Debbie's, you know? <laughs> and then bring her on back and I'll give her a pair of mine, you know? You know what I'm talking about. That's where it goes, right? That's where I go. Y'all have all gone to little Debbie on me, okay. So that, that's where it goes. So, so that's envy. And let me give you some symptoms of envy. Because, again, this is one of those subtle sins. Envy, I'm offended at someone else's talents and successes. They got the job? Why are you so mad, bro? They, yeah. They, they got the lead role? You felt it. You may have said it. You may not, I don't, but you're offended at someone else's talents and successes. Rivalry and competition. Reading false motives into other people's actions. Somebody comes up and says hi to you. Did you see how they said hi to me? <laughs> what is that? Send me, a, send me a text. How am I doing? What are you? You're reading something in there. You don't know. But you're somehow, they've got something you want. Or they've got a blessing. Or you think they've got it better than you. So, so you start reading false motives into other people's actions. Backbiting. Where you talk bad about people behind their back. Slander, where you talk bad about people just whoever listened to you. Pleasure at another person's distress. And, and don't tell me you hadn't done it. Oh, they got what's coming to them. You've said it. You've thought it, maybe. And sometimes, and this is where envy becomes a path to greater and greater or deeper and deeper sin. You've actually worked to create their distress. And all starts with a comparison. And all starts because I might have the wrong scoreboard. So I'll compare myself to them. Oh, man, they've got the car I want, the life I want, the house I Social media is terrible about this, is it not? You go to someone else's website, and you're like, man, their family looks better than mine. Look, you're, you're seeing a nanosecond of their family. What you don't know is it took mom 35 minutes to stage that shot and then post it. And, looks all, and she photoshopped it too, you know? <laughs> But that's the path of comparison and the path of envy. And that's why the church fathers in around the 400s, 500s A.D. said of, of all the sins in the world, envy makes the top seven. Because of where it leads. Now, now, here's the danger of envy. It puts us in a cycle <coughs> of perpetual self-made resentment and negativity toward another person. And it just perpetuates because you see that person in a negative light. You resent something that person has that you really want. And, and it just perpetuates in a cycle because let me just tell you something. If you want to find something bad or negative about another human being, you will find it every 
time. And I'll tell you why. Because ain't nobody Jesus. We're all sinners. We all mess up. So if you, if you want to find something wrong with Matt Evans, if you are looking for it, you will find it. I'll help you if you want to talk after the service because I, I got my own list, you know. But you'll find it. If you want to find something wrong with your spouse, you'll find it. If you want to find something wrong with that person you're envious of to help you feel better secretly or, or tear them down mentally, you'll find enough material to do it. You'll be successful at it. Okay? You'll be successful. If you want to question everything, doubt everything, have a perpetual cycle of negativity toward people and envy is working in your soul, you will find it. That's why envy, of all the seven sins, envy doesn't even feel good to feel it. You know what I mean? I mean, let's be honest. There's times where lust feels good, right? Let's be, there's times where gluttony is like, oh, can I have another little Debbie, please, you know? I mean, there's times where that's, that feels good. It's later that you're like, what did I do? But envy is kind of called a sickness in the Bible. Listen to Proverbs 14, 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot because you're in this cycle of negativity. You just feel bad. And, and you're hating on people all the time. So how or what is the way out of envy? Because you get stuck in the cycle. All right, here we go. You got to realize that the real issue is not us and them, but us and God. Now, that, that may, the real issue is not you and, and her, the girl who can wear the, the, the three sizes smaller jeans than you. It's not between you and her, it's you and God. The real issue is not that, you know, gosh, if I, I, I wish I had that body or that job or that car. Or that many people following me on Facebook. That's not the, the real issue is you and God. Because here's what you know. Why didn't God make me like them? Why didn't God bless me like them? Why didn't God take care of me like he took care of them? So you start questioning God's goodness. God, remember Genesis 1? God said everything was good. It was us. They said, hey, we'll find good apart from you, God. Then we get mad at God. And that's the cycle, and that's, that's the problem that we get in. So you gotta, I just want you to be honest with your heart. So you're hating on the other person, or you're negative toward the other person, but really, it's God you're disappointed in. Now, you may not even believe in God, but it's God you're upset with because God could have made you different. God could have put you in a different city or a different zip code. God could have given you a different job. That door that closed when you were 24 and now you're 44. What if God had opened that door? I mean, you just need to be honest with God. God can take your honesty. But don't live in deception. The issue is between you and God. And this is exactly where Jesus takes Peter. Listen to what he says to Peter. When Peter says, okay, I'm going to die on the cross upside down. What about John? Peter, John, Jesus doesn't tell him, hey, John's going to die in his sleep. Here's what Jesus tells him. When Peter saw him, he said to the Lord, what about him? That's the question. How's he going to die? And listen to what Jesus says. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? Now, listen to what Jesus did, and, and this is an answer you're, you're not going to like. I'm God, Peter, you're not. I'm sovereign, I'm large and in charge, and you're not. What is it to you, Peter, if I make him a good baseball player? 
What is it to you, young lady, if, if her body is two sizes smaller than yours and she can shop at that store and you can't? What is that to you if I gave them the opportunity to make a lot of money and you're paycheck to paycheck? What is it to you? So Peter said, Peter, Peter's forced to come to the, the, the conclusion, the issue is not me and John. The issue is me and Jesus. The issue is God and I. And Jesus puts his sovereignty on the line. And he puts his goodness on the line. And he says, okay, as for you, follow me. I'm your scoreboard. I'm the one you look at, not John. I'm the one you look at for goodness. I'm the one you look at for direction. I'm the one you look at for your identity. I'm the one you look at for your self-worth. Because deeper, 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 deeper down, all, I mean, this, this is something that maybe only comes out like at a campfire or on, on a retreat because you don't really go here. But deeper than the question of how do I stack up next to them or how do I compare, which leads you to that path of envy which rots your soul, the biggest questions you're really asking is this. Is God for me? Is God okay with me? You asked it about your mom and dad. You've asked it about that great teacher and that great coach. But if you go all the way back because you were created in the image of God and God wanted you, created you, designed you and I for, and he wanted to speak, man, they're blessed. They're very good. And we broke covenant with God. We sought good away from God, apart from God. We chose another scoreboard other than God. We pursued vanity. We pursued career. We pursued money. We pursued sports. We pursued likes on Facebook. We pursued what People Magazine says. We just pursued good apart from God. And so we, but deeper, 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 we just really are, is Daddy God, Father God, the creator of the universe, is he for me? Is he okay with me? And once you see that's where envy is really pointing, and that's where envy really comes from, and that's what envy is really wrestling with, it's so much deeper than, than what we think on the surface. It's so much, you got to get so much past, i got to quit being envious. No, no, you got to get with you and God and just wrestle that question, and then you will understand that the only resolution, the only answer, the only resolution is this, it's in the gospel. Because in the gospel, you see Jesus, the one who's telling Peter, hey, I'm God, you're not. But he's also, Peter also knows something about Jesus, and I want you to know it too. Jesus died for you. Jesus died instead of you. Jesus died for all the times you and I sought good apart from God. Jesus took our place on the cross to pay the penalty and satisfy the righteous justice and holy demands of God. To allow us to escape the wrath of God. The resolution is to look at God. Not through the lens of did God make me a size whatever. Not through the lens of God, did God allow the cancer to come or not come. Not through the lens of how many likes I have in Facebook, but I look at God through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is God screaming at us, I love you, I'm for you, I want you to have life in my name, I invite you to follow me, I invite you to look at Jesus, Jesus, as the scoreboard of your life. And so you look at Jesus, and you're like, Jesus wins. 
over sin. Jesus wins over death. Jesus is willing to declare you good again when you put your faith, your life in him and say, Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you. So when someone says, hey, how you doing? You look at Christ and say, I'm good. And there's no place for envy to rot your bones. And then God did something really cool. He created a church. And in the church, we're supposed to develop and express our gospel identity, sons and daughters, in the community of the church. You know, if you're a Christian, let me tell you something about you you may not know. God, made, God gave you what's called a spiritual gift. You may not have the spiritual gift of, of leading worship or preaching or teaching. And sometimes we think, oh, if I, don't, if I can't do those two, I can't, be a part, I can't serve the church. I'll just sit in the pew and do nothing. No, he gave you a spiritual gift. There's about 20, 21, 22 listed in the New Testament. And he says, put that gift in service, not in competition or rivalry that creates comparison and envy in the church. You put that gift in service in and through the church to complement the church like a body. And Paul compares us to a body. And he says, you get involved and you participate. And you're not sitting there, like, just like this left ear is not saying, or, this is my right ear. This left ear is not saying, man, I wish I were my nose. This, I'm an ear and I do ear. You know, it's like Matt Evans, I know my spiritual gifts and I know what are not my spiritual gifts, okay? You do not want me leading you in worship. You'll be out the door, okay? And it's like my fears, leaving my mic on during a song. Anyway, so, so you know your role, you know your lane, and I'm not in competition with other people. This is how God redeemed me, put his spirit in me to move his kingdom forward. So in the church, this is so beautiful, we don't envy one another. We celebrate, we appreciate, and we participate. I'm going to ask you something. In, are you doing this in the church? Is this, this is God's design. That we come alongside one another and we praise God for the gifts of grace that each of us have. And we live out our gospel identity. Not our worldly identity. Our gospel identity. Which says, listen, God is for you. God is with you. And in Christ, God is eternally good with you. And so when you bump into someone, they say, hey, how you doing? And you're going to be tempted to look at your performance. You're going to be tempted to look at what the doctor said or what the mirror says or what the other people say about you. You stop and you look at Jesus Christ. And when they say, how are you doing? You say, I'm following him. I'm good. Let's pray together. <clears throat> so uh, just with every head bowed in all of our campuses, just want to invite you and ask you a question. Are you following Jesus? I'm not asking, do you believe in Jesus? I'm asking, do you follow Jesus? Meaning, has the gospel, the death of Jesus instead of you, in place of you, and his resurrection for you, and his invitation to you, has it seized your heart and soul such that you've said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll give you the steering wheel because you've given me your life. Right now, if you need to say yes to Jesus and become a follower, just say that in your spirit, your soul, your mind right now. Say, yes, I want to be a follower. I want to ask you, again, all of our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want to ask you, when I say amen, you can just take out a next step card. We'll give you some time to do that as we sing. And just say and let us know. 
I've decided to follow. I've decided to surrender. However you want to say, it doesn't matter. And we'll talk to you about getting baptized, getting in community, becoming a part of the church. Holy Father, though, all of us, we live in a world of comparison. We live in a world that gets value by comparing ourselves to others. God, I pray right now we would stop in the name of Jesus, that you would teach us contentment, that we look at you and only you to know how we're doing. And that would break the root of envy off and would birth a newfound contentment that we're just following you, which means we're good today, tomorrow, and forever. This we pray in the mighty name of the one whom we follow, King Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.